This podcast is Entel Enhanced. To see pictures, articles and links of what's being discussed, download the Entel app. Hello, welcome to the Big Scuba Show. Hi, my name's Alex Hildred. I'm an archaeologist, quite often an under- underwater archaeologist, and I'm here tonight with Gemma and Ian on the Big Scuba Project to talk to you about the Mary Rose and underwater archaeology. Welcome back to the Big Scooper podcast. We are your hosts, Gemma and Ian. Before we get cracking with today's episode, we just want to make sure you have hit that follow button or the subscribe button, depending on what platform you are listening on. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you enjoy what you're going to hear today, we would really appreciate it if you can leave a review and a five-star rating. So now that's out of the way, we just want to say welcome and thank you for all tuning in. And now it's time to dive into today's episode. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Big Scooper podcast, we're back. My name's Ian, I'm one of your co-hosts and with me is... My name's Gemma, I'm the other co-host. Yes, we're back. So uh, thank you for downloading this episode and if you get a chance, have a look back of our previous ones. There's 120 previous episodes out there of us rabbiting on about diving and talking to other divers and explorers and doing who, people who've done wonderful things. <laughs> Under and above the water. So many episodes. I know, yeah. I know. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we it's Jubilee weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we've, what have you been up to? Well, we've been watching the celebrations on the TV. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope you've all had a good Jubilee weekend. Had a few street parties and uh, seen all the the events going on in and around London. And had some cream, in the UK. Yeah, cream teas and all that. And so, no, I haven't. No. Right. Have you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I am. Dive fitness and... Slim Jim. Slim Jim. That's what I'm always thinking about. Yeah, so but it's been great to see the celebrations and it As, really makes us very proud of our Queen yeah, and Royal and Family. The queen, the, did you know that the Queen does actually listens and downloads our episodes? Did you know? Yeah, I think she's a big fan. Oh, she yeah, is, yeah. of course. And uh, so we've got to say, you know, happy Jubilee <laughs> celebration and uh, all that to, to yeah. her. Anyway, uh, coming up on this episode is, we've got a really great guest again. Um, we've got um, Alexandra Hildred from the Mary Rose Project. Yeah, and they're celebrating their 40th anniversary of the lifting of the Mary Rose in October. Yeah, yeah, something you remember well. <laughs> I was at primary school. Oh, oh, <laughs> yes. You were probably at high school, weren't you? Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, so yeah, we're talking to Alexandra, and that become we'll be uh, talking to her very shortly. And um, really good chat, and uh, some really good, interesting stuff. And I'm going to say right from the outset: if you haven't been to Portsmouth and gone to Mary Rose, get there this year. Take your kids who've got kids, and. Uh, you know, get down there and have a look. Yeah. Do you think there might be people listening that don't know what the Mary Rose is? Yeah, so the Mary Rose was uh, King Henry VIII's uh, flagship. Mm. Uh, and it was around about 1600s and something. And um, A long time ago. A long time, even before your time, too, <laughs> just. And, uh, yeah, it went out and it was very famous because it absolutely rammed with uh, cannons. Mm, it um, had loads of crew on, didn't it? Yeah, a few hundred. Was, um, too heavily overloaded with cannons and ammo and people and everything else and it went out into um, the Solent and basically sunk yeah it, uh, capsized and uh, turned over so uh, really qu- quite quickly as well 
Mm. Uh, and obviously, you know, that was a big, big issue at the time. And obviously, you know, um, uh, quite a big hit for the king and uh, the, the, the nation at the time, losing the flagship like that. Mm. Uh, and it's been part of our history and yeah. you know, all the way through. And it's a bit like, you know, the queen, isn't it? You think at the moment, you know, where, you know, her line goes back thousands of years yeah well we were watching a tv program last night about her crown jewels weren't we and it's just amazing the history it is and uh so his you know england's well known for its history and its herald heraldic history (laughs) get me get me ages out and you know uh it's awesome to be able to do this and talk about um these facts about this bow Mm. and you know, the, the, the actual site and how they actually managed to raise her without it all crumbling up. Yeah, it's an amazing feat. And, uh, yeah, well, Alex tells us more about it. She certainly she? does. Yeah. But before we talk to Alex, um, what's been happening on the Coast Guard front this week then? We, well, we're training every Monday night. So I did go along to training, although slightly gammy leg. So didn't I was a informant. So how did you get a gammy leg? Um, something about a bank and trying to help you. <laughs> <laughs> and I came off worse. <laughs> so I think I ripped a muscle or tore a muscle, but yeah. Thanks for certain drone that didn't want to come out of the bushes. We had a little adventure down a bank, yeah. didn't we? Anyway, but anyway, all recovered. Um, so, and while we were on training, a shout came in. So the lifeboat was towing or bringing a boat back to the harbour. A uh, lady had fallen overboard. Um, but her husband, or they were the only two on the boat, had recovered her. But obviously we needed to assess them. And obviously an ambulance was on site um, just to check them over. So nice yeah. yacht. I saw the pictures of yeah. it. Yeah, it was in the local news. So And the lifeboat crew yeah, did an amazing job getting the, them back to safety. Wow. Yeah, so, that was good. It was a uh, positive yeah, finish yeah. at the end. Yeah, so that was the first um, one that I'd been on um, meeting a boat in the harbour. Yeah, yeah. And the boat was all right? Yeah, yeah. I think it was just the casualties uh, just needed to be checked over. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So, yeah, so back to training Monday night and back on call yeah. as of Monday. Brilliant. Good, good. Good to know the Coast Guard are out there and uh, all dotted around the Her the Majesty's UK. Coast Guard. Yes, yeah. all uh, ready to pounce, shoot the call. We don't pounce. <laughs> <laughs> into, into movement and reaction. Yeah. Yeah, so what about you? Uh, well, did you know today is World Environment Day? Mm. How cool is that? Yeah, so, so it's a big day. Yeah, day to think about your environment and your impact on the environment. What you can do to save the planet. Yeah. And then later this week, on the 8th of June, is World Ocean Day as well. Mm. And I believe we've done some things for that last year, didn't we? We did, and we'll, be, uh, we'll do a post and uh, put some social media out there. Yeah, raise yeah. a bit of Talk awareness. About social media, good little link into that, Jim. Um, we've got some YouTubes out on our latest um, uh, stay away at Lundy, and um, yeah, you know, using the nugget. There's a there's two or three videos out there. Yeah, you've been busy doing some YouTubing. Yeah, get out there uh, if you can get a chance. If you listen to this, uh, have a look at those YouTubes, and uh, if you haven't subscribed already. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel um, and give us a like and share uh, but with our videos. It all helps other people find it. And uh, yeah, it's a bit about our, you know, our thoughts of using the the Ford Transit Custom Nugget 
yeah. a dive vehicle. Positive thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we love the nugget. And it uh, works really well. There's a video of, of uh, Gemma in the shower. <laughs> I think you feature there. I was just, just going to leave that there. No. Yeah, subscribe to our YouTube channel. And you'll see Gemma in the shower. What more do you want? There is a picture, there is a video of me in the shower, but don't worry about that. Gemma's in the shower. You can, you know, you can go along and watch Gemma anyway, in the shower. moving on. Um, and then yeah, there's another one. Um, but we've got we'll be we've got some more bits and pieces to add to YouTube. So uh, more of Gemma in the showers, basically. <laughs> leave so leave any on. comments. Any, anything for the subscribe for the subs. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, Next. Uh, what have I been up to? Uh, I'm recovering. So uh, this week uh, has been a full-on week at CrossFit, but I did Murph. Yeah, you did uh, really if well. You're probably wondering what Murph is all about. Uh, so Murph goes back um, to... It's like a hero wad, isn't it? It is a hero wad. Um, and it relates to, in honour of Lieutenant Michael Murphy, who was killed in action in 2005, Afghanistan. Um, he was a, a US um, soldier. And every day when he was at, in Afghanistan to keep battle ready, he would do this following workout, and there's a it's come a very famous one. Gosh, didn't realize he did so it every day. You run a mile, mm -hmm. you do 100 pull ups, do 200 push ups, you then do 300 squats, <laughs> and then to finish off, if you aren't tired already, you can do another <laughs> mile run. And you have to do all of that whilst wearing a 20 pound, let's say 10 kilo. Vest. Weighted vest, yeah. Within 60 minutes. Um, I did mine in 61 minutes. So yeah, you did a, really well. I was a minute yeah. out. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and it was your first proper, because last year we did it, we did variations. We didn't really know what I was doing and no. did some variations on the yeah. but this is the proper one. And uh, yeah, um, that was it's tough. And, uh, you know, have a look and Google, just Google um, Murph Wad, something like that, mm. or CrossFit Murph. And you'll get details come up, um, but it's something that if you if you're into um, fitness, you're into CrossFit, particularly, it's something that's kind of um, celebrated every year. Yeah. About May, end of May. Um, I was going to do it last week, but it was Honey's birthday, so uh, so I opted to do it this week. Yeah, and you had some girls. company doing it. Yeah, yeah so, which is uh, good. Hello to all you happy, great young with CrossFitters. Yeah, and well done for doing the wad. Yeah, that's so. good. Good to get it done. Um, We've got Maggie coming in a couple of weeks' time. That's, That's a, a car. News. Yeah, got a, a Mustang Maggie. We're going to do some tests with that. Um, there'll be some more media with that. And as always, thanks to Ford for always supplying and uh, letting us work with their vehicles. Mm, yeah, it's great to have their support. Yeah, um, and this week, uh, weather's going to be a bit iffy, but I hope, and the tides are wrong on our east coast, but... Hopefully, might on the river get get out on the paddleboards. Yeah, it'd be nice to because we haven't had the opportunity to get out and about, yeah, have we? Possibly just... dive. We want to go diving. I don't know if you, sh you might have saw that we shared about the Norfolk's only canal um, up at North Walsham and Dillon mm -hmm. Canal. Uh, it's not particularly that deep. It's about five foot. But it's not. It's an enclosed piece of water. It is it's about yeah. a mile long. Uh, absolutely full of wildlife, isn't it? Beautiful yeah, place yeah. to to go um, if you're holidaying in Norfolk coming up you know go, go look at that it's the Norfolk's only canal dates back about 200 years mm. um, and we're hoping to go dive it 
um, more to just really have and explore. Yeah, you know. yeah. And talking of you saying about river, I forgot that I went out with the Broads Ranger. Oh, yes. So the Broads Ranger, they, it's the Broads Authority, so they look after the rivers. Catching people's speed in, I believe. We it? did. So we thank you to Colin, who was our Broads Ranger. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and yes, we um, put a few notices on boats that hadn't paid their river toll. Um, so a bit naughty, and some of them were quite big boats. Just did you know, if you've got a paddleboard on the river... You need to have a licence. You need to have a licence. Yeah, so uh, it's £30 for the year. Right. So, but yeah, you... So even for, even for your, you just now bought yourself uh, an inflatable paddleboard, you still got to have a license if yes, you use it on, on the any of the UK rivers. waterways. Yeah, yeah, the navigable ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah so um, and yeah, we did actually get our speed gun out and wow. uh, caught a few speeding. We didn't issue any um, you know, tickets, but they had a bit of a warning. So, yeah, it's quite interesting watching them, wrist. like, career around the corner, see us, and then, like, woo, slow down. <laughs> don't, don't do that very often on the road at all. And I saw yeah. some familiar faces on the river as certain, well. Simon Cork. From Norwich. <laughs> <laughs> yes, just breaking the speed limit a little bit. <laughs> so, but, yeah, that was very interesting. Allegedly. 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 Yeah, but it was a, a very interesting Possibly. day. We don't know. Yeah, so, and uh, it just shows what the Broads Authority the do. The was up quite high. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so yes, that was a Broads Authority adventure. Awesome. All right, brilliant. That sounds like fun. Um, so that's kind of it. Now, let me tell you uh, a little bit about our guest because there's something to, um, you know, she's been you know, involved in the Mary Rose project right from the start, yes, even before yeah. the lifting. Um, so let me just give you her uh, brief. Um, so, Alexandra Hildred. Um, BADSC uh, FSA is head of research and creator of ordinance and human remains at the Mary Rose Trust. She is one of three creators, or curators even, responsible for the 2013 to 2016 Mary Rose Museum. Joined the project in 1979 as a graduate archaeologist, an archaeological supervisor during the 79 to 82 excavations she had since directed the site monitoring survey and excavations which culminated in recovering the stern in 2005 she has researched and published the weapons of the ship producing one of the five volumes comprising the archaeology archaeology of the mary rose and has worked with the royal armories manufacturing firing full-scale copies of guns recovered well done alex has taught thank you <laughs> alex has taught both at undergraduate and postgraduate level and within the nautical archaeological society training scheme alex has extensive experience on other underwater sites and has directed multi-season projects in malta and holland nearly done <laughs> She was chairman of the Institute of Field Archaeologists, Maritime Affairs Group, and a member of the Government Advisory Committee on Historic Wreck Sites. She is currently the nominated, oh my God, archaeologist for the Mary Rose and Catwater Historic Wreck Site. Alex is married with four children. Hmm. And I'm now going to take the money down after reading that. Here is Alex. Let's get into it and here's the conversation. Yeah, so have a great listen. Phew. 
That's awesome. And we are super pleased to have you on uh, to talk to us about all this. And it's also your 40th anniversary of, you know, of raising it up from the water. And that seems like, well, yesterday. Quite yesterday, yeah. I know. Um, so <laughs> well. tell us about it. Okay, well, we're planning, it's October the 11th, and uh, that's when the Marys came up 40 years ago this October. So yeah. we're planning a three-day event in Portsmouth. Every five years, we invite uh, all of the divers who we've got current names for, and that's, of course, difficult now with GDPR. It's not as easy as it used to be. Yeah. And we invite them back to a series of lectures, sometimes about what they've done since leaving the Mary Rose, and obviously to keep them in touch with what's happening, and they see the museum, uh, etc. So this year, we're doing it for slightly longer than that, and there are going to be a whole load of lectures and visits to places, hopefully like the Historical Diving Museum in Gosport, and maybe even out to the site of the Mary Rose, depending on, on what people want. Yeah. So that's what's happening in October. But on the back of that, we're installing in the museum, which is what I've been feeding into over the past, well, since, since Mary Rose came ashore, really, 1984, the first museum was open. Um, we're doing a big thing on the raising of the Mary Rose. So that will be a 4D cinema experience, trying oh, wow. to make people uh, experience what it was like to be on the Mary Rose during the last stages of the excavation, the tunneling under the ship and the lifting of the ship. So that's wow. uh, lots of augmented reality, lots of use of, of uh, the video that was undertaken during the um, raising of the Mary Rose that we had chronicle uh, with us for four programs worth so we've got a lot of unseen footage of that which is going to be hopefully uh, used for films as well as perhaps feed into this 4d experience yeah. so quite a lot happening really that's wow. amazing the uh, i've been to the museum and i uh, took my children there uh, just before the first lockdown and uh, we had an amazing time and uh, for anyone who's listening you know uh, it's definitely worth the, the trip. Um, you know, it's really interesting. You can, you, you get that, you know, the sound effects and seeing the, the actual ship is just amazing how it's, um, how it's been, uh, put, you know, put there and then positioned with the lighting and the sound effects. And you, you've got two stories, how you can see it. And it's just absolutely uh, amazing to, to see. And it's such a big part of our, history you know going back to henry the eighth you know as his flagship and all that but let's go back a bit uh not quite as far as henry the eighth let's go back to the late 70s when you first put the project you were thinking about putting this project together um because okay we ra you raised it in 1982 but mm. was the project much like started much before that it really started in um, in the mid '60s with a local uh, person who was a scuba diver, Bizac Club diver, South Sea Branch, um, who was a historian, and he wanted a project to look for historic wrecks within the Solent. And the Mary Rose was obviously the sort of the pride and joy. There, there are quite a number within the Solent, but he he set his sights on the Mary Rose. And so a group of volunteer divers, ten or twenty at the most, augmented by whoever they could get really. So it was the South Sea Subacqua Club, some people from Portsmouth, Bezac, uh, as the Portsmouth South Sea Subacqua Club, but also Southampton. Yeah. And um, yeah. things like Royal Engineers and Firemen, people with holiday time would come and work with Alex McKee on weekends and occasionally a couple of weeks in the summer to basically scour the seabed, which is put people in, in the water and, and look at various features and see what, whether there was anything underwater. And they basically got a rough idea that it was somewhere off South Sea Castle because mm -hmm. there's an ancient an engraving which shows the sinking of the Mary Rose. So by looking at that, taking that as a sort of a center point for search, certain areas were, were searched and, and um, 
very, very little found to begin with. But um, in, in the 60s, uh, a guy called Doc, Doc Edgerton, or Harold Edgerton from MIT, was coming over to Tobermory to look for the Tobermory Spanish Galleon using his sub-bottom profiler. And um, Alex McKee, who had then been joined by Margaret Rule as their conservator, and she was just learning to dive at the time, uh, convinced uh, Doc Edgerton to come and, and go over the area that they thought might be you know, where the Mary Rose would most likely lie. And they found an anomaly. And within a couple of years after that, an iron gun was found. And then three years later, the, the site itself was found. So, you know, it was amazing. Timbers, timbers so what, were found in 1971. And by the end of the day, four timbers had become a run of 20 timbers or 30 timbers. And it was the site of a ship that was very old. And the gun had been found uh, several years earlier was of the type that could only be Tudor. So basically wow. yeah. the Mary Rose had been refound. So what sort of depth um, was the wreck lying at? 12 metres, a really good depth for archaeological work, 12 metres to the seabed. And then obviously when we got further down and mm. in tunnelling under the ship, which had to happen for the lifting to, to, to put the wires through the ship, that was a 20 metre diving table. And that everything changed when, when that happened. So that's a completely different sort of part of the excavation, if you like. But yeah. most of it was done entirely on scuba until... Again, in late 1980, 81, when the ship began to be dismantled in order to, to prepare for the lift, some of the team went away to, to various places and did uh, surface supply diving, it did part one, HSE part one, so that they mm. could um, safely wear helmets and do the, the heavy lifting that was required to get some of the big guns out and to tunnel under the ship in particular. So at some stages, there were two teams working and then in, some on surface supply. And the bulk of us on scuba still, the archaeologists, most of the archaeologists on scuba, although a number of, their, of them went on to the team and learned uh, surface supply. Uh, yeah. And then we were augmented in 82 by a team of Royal Engineers as well. So it was quite a busy mm -hmm. thing. And we were, we were on a, a diving support vessel, which was moored over the site for the entire diving season, which could be from February until December if we were lucky with the weather. Um, and then we'd stay the full-time team and the archaeological team would be on board for two days and one night and then you'd have a day off to go in the office and sort of clear all clear all the nitrogen out of your system yeah. so um, the bulk was done on scuba so we've got 500 scuba divers helped it happen you know wow. and that is digging the ship out with their bare hands getting the debris away in in airlift so it was a huge huge organization really yeah. i mean even the grid the whole area above the site had a grid, not, not necessarily for survey, but so that you could hang off it, so you didn't need to touch the, the mm. seabed because once you did, it was like flowers, visibility disappeared. So the engineering aspect is something that's never been told. You know, to build a 40 meter long, 15 meter wide grid, it's divided into three meter squares that coincide with the natural um, wooden divisions of the ship. So you know you were working on, on you know, in the upper deck in, Bay three of the ship itself, mm. and then above that you had this grid. Those are sort of the untold stories, the and the complexity of getting forty divers a day in the water safely in the right place on the right tide to work at uh, the right number of minutes, all on on scuba without computers was was amazing. Um, yeah, it is. yeah. Uh, we were saying uh, earlier, weren't we, how different diving would have been back forty years ago to how yeah. it is now. Oh, yeah. We didn't have dry suits until 1981. You know, it was 
a dry suit, we, and then we looked at our dive times and suddenly, instead of having to come up in, because the, the best tide was the easterly tide, which you had 96 minutes, um, you'd get cold when it was, you know, yeah. early in, in, yeah. the, in the spring, if you like. And our dive times just went through the roof then, you know, we were, we were all pretty good on, on using air, unless you were yeah. working really hard. Um, but it was the fact you were cold that sometimes stopped mm. you, and the dry suit was just an absolute re revelation. <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine what that must have been like when you know having the dry suit uh, after all that time in cold water. You know, um, that's that's a challenge in itself, isn't it? Is the health mm. and safety point, but also is that you know concentration of you know what you're doing and being freezing cold. That's a, that's a big ask especially if you're just sitting there drawing. I mean, airlifting is something, at least you're using your hands and and, uh, and moving a bit. But, you know, if you're sitting on a grid or, or dangling from the top of a grid, uh, putting your legs around it, your legs get cold and start yeah. shaking. You start shaking. So, yeah, dry suits are great. But all so, sorts of changes in technology. And then the yeah. HSE came in and I think changed so a little bit. So what was you like um, developing technology and things as you went to, to help? Certainly... Uh, through the excavation, yes. So um, basically, before the Mario's airlifts had been used in loads of things, especially civil engineering, but they were quite yeah. heavy and made to be negatively buoyant to stay on the seabed. And they were big steel things that were hard to move around. Yet we were trying to hold them above the sediments and just instead of using them to dig with, with the exception of perhaps the tunneling under the ship, we were just using them to take away the debris because we were carefully exposing things like wicker baskets where you can't have this huge monstrous airlift when you're trying to get delicately excavate a wicker basket or mm. human remains or a leather jerkin or shoe. So we made them neutrally buoyant, which was great. And so that you could actually just move your hand over the the mouthpiece they were they were um, four inch internal diameter and then go up or go down or whatever so you were almost using them as a buoyancy compensator as, as well as yeah. a, an excavation tool and they were wonderful you could almost dance with them you know the only problem was we, we had 11 on each side of the shipwreck and inevitably they got tangled up and that was it you know in, oh, in mid-water you're trying to untangle an, an <laughs> but again oh. that's that's due to the size of the project so big projects that have happened recently like the invincible you know they're two three four airlifts maximum maybe even two yeah. and we had 11 that you could you could have 11 people airlifting at once if you wanted to now that rarely happened but that they were stationed along the length of the hull so that you could have access to wherever you wanted to with it and 11 on the port side because the tides went east west and the ship was north south so uh, yeah it was big engineering uh, you know operation really yeah so who's in charge of all the divers and who's in charge of uh making sure you know everyone was uh doing what they should be and things like that well margaret rule is the archaeologist in charge of the entire archaeological program and she had two deputies one who was principally considered with archaeology and the yeah. other who dive safety and he managed all the dive safety that was jonathan adams who's now professor of archaeology at southampton and is just and he's been doing this huge project in the in the black sea at finding the earliest intact shipwreck at two miles you know deep and stuff yeah. but um, yeah Goodness. so he he set in place the um the dive uh, diving supervisors wrote it so they were always there was always a chief diver on board at any time sometimes two and they would with the archaeologist because we would have to work out where we wanted certain people to work at certain times of the tide depending on because you want to put 
people, if you're only having people for two weeks, you don't want them to have to learn uh, the archaeology in a new place all the time. You want to keep mm. them in the same place. You're so right. to do that, that place change, accessibility to that changes with the tides and it changes every day too, because it's always, you know, slightly later. Yeah. So um, it was the archaeologist within, within certain trenches, we divided the site into trenches who worked out the dive rota and then that was managed by the dive safety officer who logged people in and out of the water and and that made sure that if they didn't come up, we had a series of bells on the ladder uh, to, to come up and people knew who was in the water. And then every time one of the full-time team went in or, or an archeologist, before they would go to their place of work, they'd be told to check on however many people were in the water closest to them, just as an extra safety thing. So, yeah, yeah. I think I've seen a video somewhere of um, divers using some kind of suction pipe Thing. Well, that would be the, an airlift. Yeah, it's basically yeah. a downpipe from a gutter, you know, the, you know, the vertical downpipes in plastic yeah. where you, you bring in compressed air to about uh, 30 centimeters above it. So it creates a, with an on off switch and it creates a vacuum right. and you can control that either by the gate valve, which opens and closes it, or as I said, by opening or closing your hands over it. So you okay. get a really, really good thingy. But if you let it go absolutely wild, it will suck a hole into the seabed, even a four inch one will, or if you're stupid enough to get your demand valve too close to it, it'll suck your demand <laughs> valve out. And if you get it blocked with something, let's say it's a Tudor shoe, which would be an awful shame, it'll take you up to the surface really, really quickly in an emerge, you know, an uncontrolled ascent. So wow. you, know, you would actually let go of it and then, go back to the to where the hose was attached to yeah. um, the hose was attached to a bigger hose that went up to, to the ship and you go back to that and then pull down quietly and everybody on board the base uh, on board the vessel be looking at the airlift that had been up there with this water spouting and then see see it being pulled down quietly and you'd sit at the bottom saying i hope they didn't realize it was me wow. <laughs> so it was really good that you had uh, the support from um like the Marines and the Navy, then they were wanting to get involved and help with the engineering. And yes, in 1982, I mean, we didn't have that many during the, the biggest excavation was basically 1979 to 1982. Before oh. that, when Alex McKee and the, the local sub had been working, augmented by other people, it had been short period, shorter periods of time, as I said, a couple of weeks in the year or weekends. But when, when the Mayor's Trust was formed in 1979, we knew that it was a race against time because what we wanted to do is open the whole ship. Before that, the ship had been found and basically timbers had been uh, wor worked around the timbers to try and work out which way the ship was, was mm -hmm. lying yeah. and then put trenches across the ship to understand the structure. And we decided that if we ever wanted it up, the best thing to do is to open the whole area, which is why we put a grid over it, and um, so that you could basically work from the grid. So, and, and to do to do that, you know, that's when we had a big change. But from that period on, we didn't have so many Royal Engineers until 19, late 1981 and 82, when they came to do very specific jobs, yeah, like yeah. dig the holes for the foot positions for the the um, platform that was lowered over the ship that eventually the wires from the ship were attached to. Um, and then the jacks on the legs jacked it up and moved it into a cradle. So, okay. so what was it like um, trying to get people involved? So back in those days, you know, uh, as a, we've got so today when we look at things today, we, we can look at so, putting things on social media. Yeah, yeah. We can uh, do all sorts of things really quickly to get support for a project. But back then, 
how how did you go about then getting more support and was everybody really supportive or did they oh, say yeah. well you know it's an old ship that's long gone and we don't need to worry about that did you know was how how was how did that come about well the british Sabaco club were very very um supportive from from the start so were the Sabaco association so we'd got we'd have uh, articles in diver magazine um and that obviously through the network of bzac clubs which even then was sort of quite a number of them yeah. and we formed our own Mary Rose special branch uh, so for, for the divers from Mary Rose and local radio stations but also you know any anybody who worked for the Mary Rose Trust full-time at that time was expected to spread the word so you do it mm -hmm. wherever you wherever you could and I mean, yeah. advertisements in newspapers for anybody who had a couple of weeks to spare and was a diver um, ideally with you know a certain number of dives and I think it was said you had to have a, over a 10 mil wetsuit to begin with. <laughs> Wouldn't be allowed unless you'd done like 10 dives and had wow. a, and had a, or eight mil, maybe it was eight mil wetsuit. Yeah. yeah. So did you actively go and dive, you know, on a, a regular basis while all the excavation work was being done and? Um, what, elsewhere? Or, uh, I mean. No, on I, Mary Rose. Okay, yeah, I mean, I was part of the team that was on two days on, one day off. Yeah. So between 79 and 82, um, that's basically what I did. 82 changed a bit and actually it was 24 hours on, 24 hours off, except for what we were doing as the archeological team was emptying the archeology that was left on the west side of the site, which could only be done on a westerly tide run. So we just came the tide runs and over the couple of months we were there that inevitably meant some at night so you might come on at you know 12 o'clock at night to dive at two in the morning and then go off at six in the morning and then the next team would come on to do, to do it and you'd do that round the clock so in 1982 that that was completely different for all of us you had people the salvage and recovery team with with um, Kirby Morgan's uh, water jetting and airlifting making tunnels under the ship to drill through it and us inside madly trying to finish the last of the the archaeology on the western side even if it it, it was at night so wow. for that had a chandelier because we found this at the 11th hour we we brought up this whole brick structure that had collapsed we thought oh yeah that's the galley of the ship and then in i think it was just late as middle of may this entire brick wall became exposed and we thought oh my god we've got a complete pair to the galley on the other side of the ship and that's like two thousand bricks you know it's a lot to on a ship yeah so there were four thousand in total and 700 logs that you know for mary Rose brick wall do? well it's it's basically a big auger it's like a, a oh. pizza oven below with a big uh round area that was beautifully made with the bricks going in, in a circle around it uh, to take a huge cauldron of brass that would cook the food for the 500 men. So wow. with the ability to, to, to dangle roast um, a venison joint or a joint in front of the, the firebox that was in an arch underneath mm -hmm. um, or baked bread. Or so, I mean, it's a really very, very useful yeah. thing to think that, oh my goodness, you've got these whole thing to deconstruct and it's complete. So you have to survey it in, in position and you're doing it at night or part of it was being done at night because that was, uh, you know, it would so be. Why, why was you working 24 seven? Because- To get it the, done on, Yeah, but what was the deadline? Why, why was there a deadline? Because it, let's face it, it'd been under the water, you know, for like hundreds <laughs> no. of years. But we'd exposed so, the whole thing. You see, we by that stage we'd emptied everything but the really solid bits. There were certain certain bits that had like uh, piles of iron shot that corroded together, and so they were big lumps that had to be taken out. So it now exposed to the salt water. 
in salt water that it just goes like concrete. So yeah. you would try taking them up in as big a lump as possible, then radiograph them and look at how they were lying before uh, exposing them by, by using a chisel and a hammer, or usually it was just a hammer banging it up to set a motion going that would shake it apart rather than, than sharp tools. But um, yeah, so we were working because of, of that month, the a lot of the westerly tides, which we needed to take the debris away from the site because you don't want to infill the areas oh, of, so, yeah. if we were working in uh, the Holden Orlap, which is on the west you'd want a yeah. westerly tide run to take it out of the site not to fill in the main deck and the upper deck on the other side so it, I mean it was complex but it was yeah most fun of our lives you know? but I guess yeah. I guess um if I've taken the, the sand and the debris out the chances that I can take artifacts out with it as well oh so yeah I see your point so yes yeah, so you're being very careful but as a result of that, actually, when the Navy was going to, um, they, they were thinking of dredging the existing channel into the harbour for the two big carriers, the Queen Elizabeth and the, yeah. and the Prince of Wales. And it, the area that they were doing, widening it to, is going to just clip part of our historic wreck circle. So the mm. Mary Rose's the seabed is actually protected around it. And only we can work it because we've rented the the um, seabed from the Crown Estates Commission. Well, we got, we said, well, they said, well, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> hold on, hold on. You rented the seabed? Even before the Mary Rose was found, when this W feature was picked up by um, Subbottom Profiler and yeah. the gun had been found, uh, before the Mary Rose Trust was formed, a committee was formed to, in 1967 to acquire that area from the Crown. So we still pay an annual fee. It's like if you if you have mooring yes. uh, now, you rent the, that bit of That's amazing. Crown Estate. <laughs> But it was absolutely fantastic because it gives us exclusivity to that site. Yeah. Whereas yeah. on many other sites, so for, for example, um, recently on the Colossus in Scilly, you could have two teams working on it because even though one might have been working for, for 40 years on it, having worked mm -hmm. on the first Colossus excavation, because they put in very good project designs and they were accepted by Historic England, English Heritage in order to do that. Well. That isn't the case with us because we still rent the site from the Crown Estate. So, and at the time that that, that was done, there wasn't a protection of Rex Act. So it was the only way of protecting the site from right, anybody right. else who might want to see, oh, what's that boat doing over there? You know, maybe we should go and have a look. So, and that was the only way of doing it was, was to do it that way. And we still use that. And what it means is that no matter how good somebody else's project design is, you know, we've put all these years, millions of pounds into it. We're curating the collection. We will work with other people and we do work with other people, but it means that, you know, it's, it's working with us rather than instead of us. So yeah. it's a very, it was a really, really far-sighted move. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. Um, you know, because that you're still renting that. So our excavation, yeah, but especially, yeah, you, you, you know, recovering part of the English heritage and culture. So um, I lost my train. So I, 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 is excavation still ongoing? Well, actually, there's a vessel surveying. It's uh, I don't know whether it was yesterday. It's had two days yesterday. Uh, sorry, Wednesday or today. Um, so I haven't checked to see whether that's happened. That's through Southampton University, and that is using multi beams. So regularly, various universities that we work with might test their equipment with new students mm -hmm. uh, and go out over the site because they know there's a big hole there with some features that you know they'll be able to see. And they say you know it's a monitoring thing for us, which is absolutely fantastic. But we're scheduled to dive on it on the. Uh, 12th and 13th is a week, a week on 
two weeks today or something, uh, right. Thursday and Friday, um, because uh, that we've noticed that there's some erosion on the northern part of the site where the anchor buoy is, which marks the historic wreck site. It's a big buoy that sort of says Mary Rose Keep Moth type of thing. And uh, we got it exchanged in, in 2014 for a bigger buoy because we were, we have a data, or we had a data logger on the seabed that was collecting all sorts of information and sending it to us. And in order to do that, you needed a bigger buoy, which meant a bigger chain. And in time, that's actually made quite a hole for itself in a very sensitive area where we still think there might be remains of the bow castle because if wow. you've been, you said you've been to see the Mary Rose, you'll notice that there isn't a bow. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. when that broke off is still a mystery, how much is left is still a mystery. But when we were working in 2005, as a result of mitigation money by the MOD, because they were going to put this channel in, we recovered the stem, the big timber that comes to form the, the bow that attaches to the um, heel and keelson of the ship. And we found a lotus structure from the upper missing port side, which had obviously fallen off to the port side. And interestingly, hadn't been picked up by any of the other surveys because the sogginess of the wood, if you like, is really similar to the to the silt itself. Yeah. Um, but as, so so we live in hope that we might have part of the bow castle still there in bits. And we did pick up loads of wood in 2000, between 2003 and 2005, but there's still guns missing. There's still quite a big portion of the assemblage that could be there, or it could have been destroyed during the initial attempts to salvage a ship, or it could be where John Dean signed out his, you know, 13 inch mortar shells in 1840 and made big holes mm. in other parts of the wreck that we can see, but maybe they just put a bigger one in the bow and, and you know, completely destroyed it. So there's still so many questions. So that place being eroded by the chain obviously gives us cause for concern. So that's why we're diving. It's amazing to think that you know, everybody assumes, oh, that's the Mary Rose up and that's yeah. the end of the story on the seabed, but it it's continues. It's just Oh, it does. But it's so expensive. You can't do it. I mean, in order to, to do this, you know, this is very kindly a, an award that was given to, um, to, to Dan Pascoe, who put, who put it forward. And um, and so we have to be very creative about how, how we dive the site now which is why mm. we, you know take help of anybody who wishes to help us nearly and um and why it's so important to have good contacts with things like universities and yes uh, yeah. and the navy i mean the navy have come and done regular surveys as well over this time so the navy are, are some of our biggest allies as well so are you saying this is could be a potential citizen science where people could contact you to say um you know we're, i'm a diver i'd like to get involved and help well, we could only do that if we, I mean, it's not just the, the divers, it's actually the cost of the boat and, and everything else. So that yeah. would be a difficult thing. And it would have to be part of a program that obviously we could justify archaeologically and the trust could justify our, our time to, yeah. to work on because we have a very small number of people here. And our biggest thing is actually keeping the objects that we've got in the right, you'll have noticed in the Mary Rose, that there are these long galleries on either side of the ship, yeah. which contain thousands of objects recovered from the ship, positioned exactly opposite where they were found in the ship well those are environmentally controlled and just mm -hmm. to keep the ship environmentally controlled and those huge 35 meter long galleries is a massive expense so under the whole museum in the bottom of the dry dock there is all of this piping and, and air ducts and electricity and electricity bills through the roof so to justify uh, if we i mean i'd love to go and do a big excavation but where would we put this stuff how would we look after it how is that the best use of the few archaeologists' time who are left? So people can be involved, but it would more likely 
have to be us deciding that we wanted to actively fundraise for a big project and get a team together and then ask people to join the team. That is such a big trade-off, isn't it? Because mm. so on one hand, you've got these items which are potentially there. You know, you've got the bow uh, castle, uh, which is potentially Possibly. still there. But if you bring it up, you've got a plan for it and you've got the space and then the funding that's needed. Yeah, yeah. Or, do you just, or do you just leave it there in the sand? Well, we recovered, we recovered the, the, we found structures. I said it was port side structure, but it was like 15 frames and in and out of hull planking. So it was quite a big amount. And we didn't, because we didn't expect to find so much of it, we didn't have permission to go underneath it and look at the underside of it. So we really carefully reburied it with a membrane and then loose sand and then um, uh, 80 tons of, of sand from sandbags that we put into it as well 750 sandbags 80 tons of loose sand and and a membrane and so we know exactly where that is so that is something for future generations that you know if only they could go and look at the underside of it and see if it's eroded it means it stood up for a while before it fell down if it's absolutely clean it means it came off perhaps at the time of sinking so there's so many questions that could mm. be if we could do that but you you sort of need a millionaire and <laughs> or couple of millionaires to come and want to do that I think yeah. for us to do it now it, it would be the wrong thing for us to, to spend our you know very meager resources because it's basically everything that we get from, from visitor uh, yeah. visitors coming through the gate and as you know it's been hard for many historic attractions mm. over the past couple of years. Yeah it must have been when you were actually doing the excavation and the investigation the atmosphere among the divers and the teams must have been incredible. It was, it, it was, and it was so much fun as well. And we've just been, we've got a legacy group of about 70. And one of the things we're trying to do this year is go through all the slides from 79 to 82. And whilst we did basic annotations of what it is, it's all the people and it's what they were doing. And you're just looking at people that are, you know, 40 years old and, and we get them all up on a screen together and share it and just have such a laugh. And it's, it's so good. It's the only way to do it because you can't, you know, I can't remember all their names and there are only two of us here now who were, who were part of the original diving team. Wow. So it's great to have these legacy things every couple of weeks and share again those, those fun times by going through the documentation. But it's important too, because if we don't get it written down, you know, we could all be gaga in five years time and not remember who we <laughs> are remembering what I did last week so well, yeah. get actually the longer the time framework the better your memory I can't remember what I ate this morning you know. <laughs> wow. uh, so, so in your younger days um obviously you started diving when you went to university yeah I went yeah. to Sheffield so Stony Cove you know that was where most training was. <laughs> we're there tomorrow <laughs> are you <laughs> still a great place but um yeah yeah yeah. yeah. So did you ever think that is the moment that you learned to scuba dive where that would take you? No, and I didn't think, I mean, it, I, I applied that entire season for 79, all for, for every single um, episode, because it was divided depending on when the spring tides were, there was usually a four or five day break where it just wasn't worth diving. So there were a number of different sessions and I applied for every single one. It wasn't till like the second to last one that there was room to, you know, because obviously people got there first. And, um, and that was in October. We finished in December diving that year. And when we came off the boat, Margaret said, do you, do you want to be a full-time member of staff? And that was it. And I haven't looked back since, although I've done lots of projects in my holidays and taken some unpaid leave. And I would never have thought, you know, I was going to do a PhD in physical anthropology at the University of Calgary the next year, but you know, that, 
um, because the Mary Rose, and I think people talk about the Mary Rose bug, and I do think there is one. And, and you know, if you were to come to one of our reunions, you'd see it. You've got all these people acting like they're 20 again and having so much fun. And, but we, uh, there's, there's a gravity to this because, you know, you know, we've already talked about, you know, where were you when they wrote, when they raised the Mary Rose? Mm. Um, I know where I was. Gemma know where she was. And we kind of think, wow, you know, this is going to be around for years to come. Uh, you know, future generations will see, they'll research it. They talk about it at school, you know, as part of our history. Uh, and you've been part of that. And, you know, you've always go, you know, that's always going to be part of your, part of your life, isn't it? It's part of your, you know, thing. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing <laughs> thing to be part of. It is. It's amazing. I mean, absolutely. I've been so lucky. I mean, you just can't. Yeah. And so it's, lucky. it's really great to think that is not the end of the story where the Mary Rose is, you know, above the water, but there is yeah. still, yeah, much more to find and yeah. locate. Yes, and we're still, I mean, with 2003 and 2005, we did have some younger divers who, um, some of them were coming out on the uh, next week after next. So, you know, there is that transfer of information mm. transfer yeah. from generation to another, which is which is really good. And um, and so that and that's push this legacy thing too, is to give the next generation as much of our knowledge as they can, uh, as yeah. we can yeah. of the site and of what we thought we left behind in the important areas that that you know oh gosh if only we'd gone there we might have found this so I mean some of it might just be gut feelings but it's that sort of thing that you, you know you can't replace and weren't necessarily written down in the fantastic site books and dive records that we've got mm, so, yeah things we didn't do but want other people to do so the and inspire you know the younger generation now although that was 40 years ago Mary Rose came up but to inspire people with that bug you yeah. know might lead to amazing things in the future yeah. Yeah. So have you, are you still diving? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I dived on the Invincible two years ago and yeah. I mean, not a lot has happened since, since um, the lockdown, but, um, and then before that, the Rosevike on the Goodwin Sands. Um, and as I say, Mary Rose in two weeks time. Yeah. 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 That's good. Yeah. So what level did you get to yourself? Well, for, for Bizak, it was advanced instructor. And for a while, um, my husband, who was, who was then working on the Mary Rose as well, um, had, a, had a diving school, which he, we taught both schools. So I helped teach scuba. So we taught scuba and he did some, because he was on the dismantling and then the salvage team, he also did some come and try at surface supply stuff. So that was in Gosport. So we did that for a couple of years. I was an advanced instructor Structure. And then yeah. when the HSE got, you know, underwater archaeology became more involved in, in health and safety, various other things, because we were all then definitely at work. Um, I did a, I went to Fort William and did a part three. So I got a part three, which is all you need for, for the sort of work that I'm doing. Yeah. And various other things. I don't really need explosives. But wow. <laughs> other people can do that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Do you dive um, like for pleasure recreationally rather than? Um, I used to a lot and we have um, a house in Scotland. So, you know, it's a beautiful place to dive and all my, my four children dive. So, um, yeah, but it's sort of not so much <laughs> because it's so much of a job. It, it's probably not as much as most people. But we did with the diving school. We went to Malta quite a lot for mm -hmm. um, and then had a project in Malta. 
Grand Harbor and Coles Bay. So I would say I, we did a lot of diving. Most of it you think you probably classify as work, even though it was fun scuba diving, teaching people to dive. Um, but it wouldn't be, I, I've never been on a liverboard for just for a holiday or anything. No. I'd love to, I'd love to. <laughs> And I've lived Enjoy aboard those great decks, but it's all been working. But, yeah. um, you know, if you love the work, where's yeah. the work? That's true. The work holiday boundary it sort of doesn't really exist. So what's been the most surprising thing, um, do you think, has come out from the Mary Rose? You know, what's been the one thing you thought, wow, we weren't expecting that? Okay, I think it is the... The recent work we're doing on the human remains, which are showing that of the, the few that we've done detailed research into, that four out of the eight people that we've looked at in detail seem to be non-English. So mm -hmm. including one whose father was definitely born in North Africa, because that was one that we did DNA rather than isotope analysis. So I think it's learning, it's still learning about the crew and, and about um, how diverse England was at the time, and so that in the museum we actually have a, an exhibition which is due to end in June, which is, explores diversity and the crew of the Mary Rose. So I think for me that's one of the most astonishing things that we mm. found out, and are continuing, and that is a huge reservoir. You know, we've got um, the remains of, of over, probably over 200 individuals, perhaps a bit more, and um, and each one of those can can potentially, as techniques get better, inform us about. Um, not only life and where they were born, but things like the the diseases they might have suffered, the, the genetic things they had. So how many were wheat intolerant? What can you tell by the calculus on the teeth of what the gut microbiota was? So all of these things that might wow. have future. And, you know, that's, and we can't do too much now because a lot of this stuff is destructed at the moment. You know, you need to take a sample and you destroy mm -hmm. the sample in doing it. So that's why we're doing so few. But the amount of information that we're getting suggesting things like the DNA, I mean, the DNA of the dog has been unbelievable. You know, it's Jack Russell type of closest to the modern Jack Russell. And we knew it was just recessive for a gene that nobody thought was around at the time. It's basically gout in dogs, but it was thought to be a later thing, a more modern thing due to inbreeding. Well, we can now say, sorry, chaps, but it was around in 1545. And so there's <laughs> so much. And so I think it's it's oh, the science God. and the application of science and, and the new science. And we've seen that in just things like um, acoustics, for example. You know, we did some early trials with, with range meters on, on the hull in 75 and 82 and, and uh, various other things but now acoustics is the one thing that every but you know photogrammetry and acoustics that's it you know and those were just pioneering things now and it's the same with what we can do I think with the human remains and studying the assemblage uh, with techniques as they evolve so science and the mirrors and the assemblage is just incredible so it's everything but I think you know the human remains are really something which humankind mm. will, will benefit from. That's amazing and that's you know as more science and uh, new technology comes on stream that it opens up new questions Absolutely. with the, the artifacts that you've already got. That's just amazing. Yeah. yeah. But you wouldn't believe that you'd be able to look at things that are intact two, two miles down in the, in the uh, Baltic, you know, or the Black Sea, rather. You know, you just wouldn't. But now you can, and, yeah. and you can be voyeurs on that journey. Um, with the Mary Rose, we we brought it up, so it's slightly different. But there, you know, there are many ships that, that will just be passengers on a on a on a voyage. But we've got a lot, and we have to look after it and continue to explore it in any way we can. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
Yeah, yeah, no, it's really amazing. Yeah, just to think, you know, like Ian says, as technology advances, which is quite quick, then yeah, it opens up so many more doors yeah. and yeah, yeah, provides so much more information as well. Mm. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. So yeah, so hopefully that will inspire people to yeah visit the museum and learn a lot more about the Mary Rose. Well, and also, you know, people who want to be involved in underwater archaeology can join the Nautical Archaeology Society. There are loads of different levels of, um, of courses you can go on, and they have active projects that they run that allow uh, divers to, to go and join and, in, in, you know, enjoy archaeology and become part of, of the archaeological, maritime archaeological family. So, um, you know, I would say anybody who's interested in, in that and in finding a, you know, a different purpose to dive, perhaps that they hadn't thought of before, that looking at the Nautical Archaeology Society would be a really good first step. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, I haven't heard of that one before, so it'd be great to yeah, try and get more yeah. people interested, because I think you say archaeology and people just think of people digging holes in the ground, don't they? <laughs> it's just like, but taking it underwater is, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and everybody needs to have a reason to dive, really. It's Absolutely, and you can, you know, and photography is wonderful. Now you've got cameras and various other things. It's it's completely different ball game. You know, you can do photogrammetry like that, whereas before you'd have to take a thousand still photographs. Yeah. Now you just swim around the site and got six people with hat cameras and you've got something that, that you put on a headset and you've got a virtual tour so you know that, that that's fantastic the visualization but um but actually there's nothing like getting down there and looking at it and uh investigating yourself and and it's still the most marvelous feeling one of the most marvelous feelings in the world i think yeah you you had a tough bag you know uh to put up with those doing that work in such cold water um <laughs> You know that that's tough and um when you look at today we, you know we've got thermal gloves yeah. thermal uh we've we got heated suits you know dry gloves and full face masks uh it, it just goes on doesn't it you know yeah. lovely nice hoods that people spent you know ages uh researching and experimenting you know how it makes them warm to wear in the in cold waters and there you were doing it in wetsuits and stuff as uh, yeah tough and fenzies i mean talk about having a rubber ring around your neck sort of thing you know we've <laughs> now these wonderful buoyancy compensators yeah, yeah. And, and obviously computers to to work out your dive times and any stops that you might do etc and and obviously you dive know, computers mix and yeah you know dive computers and um and different mixtures of gases that that you know, they've opened up completely different uh, avenues for underwater archaeology as well as sports night. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> um, we, we've got some set questions. We, we, you know, we fire all our guests. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll try these on you. Um, so if we could, if you could take three divers um, and they, they can be, they can be divers, they can be people from history, um, but you can take them with you to show them, maybe show them how it was back in the day. Who would you take? Okay, it was quite, I was in, uh, thinking about this quite a lot. And I came across a really good, the 22nd of this month was uh, Earth Day. And there was yeah. a wonderful um, speech by Sylvia Earle, Dr. Sylvia Earle, about her work. And, and obviously she's, you know, deepest untethered dive on a gym suit, etc. She set so many boundaries, oceanographer of huge repute, uh, finding, you know, out so much. And, and again, 
being really good at portraying it to the people. Um, and she also lived when you pioneering women in oceanography and biology with her habitat in whatever the year it was, 1970 or something, where, where mm. a whole lot of women lived at 15 meters in a habitat to see how that would work. You know, some yeah. really fantastic stuff. But she said, and I think she's right because it is my memory and probably most people of my age, that it was actually Jackie Yves Cousteau who, who set the whole thing up. And yeah. she's pioneering now for, you know, the earth is being, water being the most important thing on the earth and we have to be careful of it and you know if you do something to the sea it is going to have a knock-on effect and in the end you know climate everything's going to suffer well Cousteau was saying that in this fantastic book he wrote in 1981 which is the Cousteau Almanac and it's 800 pages of world facts and about the knock-on effects of just something small like too much krill fishing mm -hmm. and it, it, it is a bible to, to live by so not only did he um, have all these wonderful pioneering ex ex expeditions and films and the stuff that he did with with cameras and he also was involved in helping with things like um, acoustic the development of acoustics and obviously we know him for the for the um, aqualung well the uh, demand valve and, aqu and, and aqualung and scuba so accessibility and presenting to the public and those wonderful exhibitions and films the silent world I mean I grew up on that and so I think with his pioneering stuff. And in 1997, the United Nations accepted uh, one of the things that the Cousteau Foundation had written, which was basically, we owe it to future generations to look after the sea. And it, it I mean, it was a four page document about what we should do in order to safeguard the sea to preserve it for future generations. And that's a really big thing for, for somebody, mm -hmm. you know, to, to have done and got through the UN as, as a ratified um, important thing. So um, I'd say it would be, Jacques Cousteau without a shadow of a doubt. Now, not yeah. just for that, but for the stuff that he did for maritime archaeology and the early, because he brought that to the attention by some of his films on some of the most wonderful wrecks like Antikythera, which um, found by, by sponge fishermen in 1900s or 1907 or something, and worked and brought up huge statues and various, various other things. Um, he then went back and worked it and brought up more. Um, and brought it to the attention of, of a wider audience so and he did that with a number of wrecks that have been found before so bringing all those things from from classical civilization and pre-classical civilization to modern day audiences and that then sort of leads into my second person which okay. is so Jack Cousteau would have, be having to have a tour of the Mary Rose and, you know, <laughs> and also for the stuff you warned us about, about the seas, which we haven't really done very much. You know, we've not really ticked that box quite yet, um, uh, but to, to show him the Mary Rose. But also my second one would be Damien Hirst because he has fabricated the most fantastic story in his unbelievable shipwreck. Um, copying almost exactly the films of Cousteau. It could be a mixture of Cousteau's films and the ones we did on Chronicle to yeah, the extent yeah. that he'd, and again, it was sponge fishermen or, or fishermen who found the site. They, an archeologist then realized about it then went to Damien Hurst to get funding, who then brought a team in who did a pre-disturbance series. So it follows all the archeological <laughs> things correctly. And he's got these names of people and you look them up in Google, they don't exist, you know, or the institutions that are supposed to have done a year making a version of the ship that could have carried all these things based on you know one keel bolt or something yeah the person who does it is john adams and he he down the road in southampton and they didn't spend a year doing making this ship so the whole lot's fabrication but what it does is it his his 
189 displays in Venice in 2017 did so much to um, bring underwater archaeology. And, and, you know, thinking that he's spent years making these false things and weaving this wonderful story around about a slave who became free and was carrying this huge uh, lot up to, from, to, to Rome, etc. You know, fantastic story, including videos, including you, you can walk through, you can have a tour of the uh, the exhibition, which took up like 60 rooms in two palaces in Venice in 2017, and see clips of the excavation in exactly the same way as you would you'd see us doing it for a chronicle yeah, yeah. television program. So I think that would be fantastic. And one of the other reasons why I want him is I think it'd be great to have some of his statues either in the dockyard, because we had the kiss beside... Um, between uh, HMS Victory and the Mary Rose Museum, or even one of the, the huge monstery type figures um, within the Mary Rose ship hall next to the ship, or even better would be if he could build a new thing that would incorporate uh, a support for the stem and then a support for the rudder. So the Mary Rose could look, you know, you could get her full length moment yeah. on our cradle that we've got her on is the one that we lifted her on. And there's no room for adding supports for that. So. That would be my challenge for Damien Hurst and one of the reasons, because I want to give him, I can't find out. It doesn't We've not had Damien Hurst before. Um, well, he's <laughs> no. an artist you know, that does, uh, does all of this very controversial artwork, including this fake uh, shipwreck story in Venice, which, um, which had the, you know, the public raging or <laughs> thinking it's fantastic, but is it fake or is it not fake? And you realize, that's Mickey Mouse. It's a transform. It's a transformer, you know. But then beside it, you'd have this wonderful Medusa's head that obviously had spent, ten, you know, he probably spent ten years working on these objects. And you know, the, the person who's the um, the slave, you know, his name is Sif Amatan. Well, if you look at that, it means I am not real or I'm fake or something. You know, the whole thing is a joke. And it's brilliant. And it, it is brilliant, but it is great for maritime archaeology. And I like yeah. to show him the real thing. And I'd like to display his real art near our real real ship. Um, the doctor will let me, the Mary Museum, this is my views only, um, would let me do it. So he would be my second person because I think he's done a lot for getting, you know, people talking about maritime archaeology. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Okay. And so my third person, again, is somebody from the past rather than the present. And that's Jack Francis, which uh, we is the first named diver that we have for the Mary Rose. So he's okay. part of a team which was um, paid by uh, basically by the crown to recover objects left in the Mary Rose. So it immediately salvage attempts were made. They couldn't lift it upright. She basically rolled over in, in she's 12 meters wide. 12 meters deep, rolled over, sank, couldn't get her upright. So tried to do it, broke the foremast, left it for a couple of years. So then another team headed by a guy called Peter Paul Corsi, who lived in Southampton, um, came in and worked and picked up some anchors and some guns. And a member of that team was somebody called Jack Francis. And the team of divers were diving a number of wrecks around Solent. One of them uh, was owned by some other Italians who accused them of stealing lead ingots. And Jack Francis, who was one of the team of Peter Paul Corsi's divers, uh, was a witness in a high court, um, a, a court of the Admiralty hearing uh, in defense of, of Corsi saying, no, the only reason why the ingots were taken is because they defaulted on the payment or whatever. But in doing so, you find out a bit about him. And he was born in the uh, Isula de Guinea, which is off West Africa. So it's possibly very close to Cape Capo Verde or something. So mm -hmm. very close to the first um, Portuguese settlements, uh, ports over there. And then he was brought to 
England eventually. We don't know whether he would, he came naturally via Portuguese link or whether, of course, he actually went out and got sponge divers because they were supposed to be renowned for their ability for breath holding. And within this, yeah. this transcript, it says that he was a really good breath hold diver who could pick things up. And so, and it, we've got three other names within the team as well. So we know he was the first you know, one of the names of the first divers we have is Mary Rose, had brought some stuff up. And also he was, you know, from from Guinea. So he was a, an African mm -hmm. diver. And that then again, we found out because at the same time as we were doing this, we were, we were looking at these isotope analysis of teeth so that we actually had a friend, you know, a, um, an African diver and then possibly, you know, an African person on the cruise. So oh, that's no. opened up a new thing. And I'd like to take him down and say, you were yeah, walking yeah. along the side of the ship that isn't here. <laughs> but this is what was below you. And can you tell me, was the bow still there in 1547? So, you know, everything's got, got an ulterior motive, but I just like to, and, and what were you wearing? Was it all breath hold diving? Did you have a some sort of a thing to the surface or was it a wet bell? Because wet bells were, yeah. were, were around at that time mostly in Italy but you know exactly how did you do it how did you get these guns out I mean it would have been the ones that would have been high up on the port side so they would have been accessible and he probably would have been able to walk along the side and if he stuck his hand up really high he might have just broken the surface on certain stages of the tide but I would like him to be it and then I'm going to do a wobbly with the fourth and add one that you wouldn't have had and that would be a great 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 grandchild of mine Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, okay. amazing. Yeah. So they can get the Mary Rose bug. Yeah, it's brilliant. Well, yeah, it's inspire the youngsters as well. That's, yeah, yeah. it's all about getting people in the water and, yeah, just getting there and finding, yeah, a real bug for it. It's yeah. no matter what. Yeah, yeah. So if you could sort of tell somebody a nugget of from your life or a piece of advice, what would you say? to maybe maybe looking back what would you say to your your younger self now never stop doing cartwheels that would be the one because, oh, like because a cartwheel takes so much hey you look at it now you try doing a cartwheel now I mean I used to do them around the garden all the time and you're throwing yourself down to the ground and trying to it, it takes coordination it takes skill it takes balance and if you keep doing that for your whole life you're going to keep fit and it's going to keep your mind fit so that your coordination fit so that would be good but actually my one which is and that's a very selfish thing but my one that is less selfish because I think it it um it is for everybody is never say can't just never say yes can't. always say because a it could wreck somebody's dreams and completely demoralize them it's so negative but b there is always another way to look at things and you might not be able to do exactly what the person has done but if you look at things in a different way you might be able to take baby steps towards it or you might be able to do it or you might be able to find somebody who will help you doing it and and actually one thing that i've learned through Mary Rose having to ask people is usually they are really wanting to be engaged and to help and it's a it's a good for everybody feeling you know yeah. everybody feels happy whereas if you say oh that can't be done you know forget it that can't be done oh and I bet you had that I bet you had well, that and, and, yeah, and I mean the untold stories of, of the year of salvage and recovery where you were up against a brick wall and people saying no you can't do it that way you can't do it this way well yeah. you know you just will or we'll find another way but we will do it well, and I think that goes for human nature, doesn't it? Because if, if we'd all listened to uh, to that statement being told to us, we would probably still be in caves. Uh, <laughs> we've never made it to the moon. Uh, we've never lifted the Mary Rose. Yeah. You know, and the list go on. You don't want to have the wheel. 
That'd be problems. Fire, what's that? You know, like, <laughs> you'll run away and there'll be a problem. So no, it's all about you know evolution as well. If you said can't, we would just not go anywhere. But yeah, no, yeah, yeah. So that would be one of yeah. them. Very good yeah. advice. I like that. That's brilliant. Okay, another question for you. Um, so we give you a billboard, and you can put anything you like on that billboard, but it's going to be a message to the world. It can be a video, it can be a picture, it can be a statement, whatever you like but it's got to be a message to the world. What are you going to put on it? Okay, well, the first thing I thought would be a video and it would be the Earth from, um, from outer space showing you know, the fact it's a watery planet and then sort of that getting bigger and then the seas actually getting smaller and smaller and smaller and then suddenly the whole world disappears and then you know, sort of save our planet type of thing. But then I thought, well, that's actually really big and there are lots of people who are far better than me to reach out to a wider audience to do that. What can I do that, that people can make a difference now. And that would be um, Save Our Sands, which is a project to save the Goodwin Sands off the east coast of Kent. So it's 10 mile okay. sand bank, basically, which protects the Kent Harbour from erosion. I mean, the Kent coast from erosion. So that's one thing. It was an area where in between the sandbank, which is, comes up to the surface very much and is a ship swallower. There are over 2000 known wrecks on it, the earliest of which is 13th century. There's oh, wow. sort of five wrecks from the great storm or four wrecks from the great storm of 1703. Over 2000 wrecks, it is undoubtedly the largest UK reservoir of, of wrecks within it. So two meters of sand is, is wanting to be taken off it. Um, it's being delayed and delayed and delayed. It's a marine protected zone, a conservation zone. So it's got a gray sea, seal colony of 500 seals the intertidal habitat would go it's been between between the banks and it's about five miles off five to six miles four to six miles off the kent coast you've got an area called the downs which used was and still is a safe anchorage during certain times of uh, uh when there weren't bad, bad storms so the whole place i think there's something like over 40 airplanes at last known position during the war was around the Goodwins and they haven't been found yet. So this really? potential is enormous to cover everything from prehistoric stuff right the way up to um, to, to, to Second World War and you know, possibly even modern disasters as well. That's and to take two meters off the top of that just to, to infill parts of the, the Western Dover, Dover Harbor you know it's probably to make a car park for lorries or something mm. it's just unbelievable and there's this big campaign that's been going on for a few years um to save our sands and i think anybody that's something that we can all do by by um contributing towards that i think they're doing some fundraising for it but they're also trying to get public behind them to for, for a public outcry and i think that's something as, as divers that that is sort of closer to our heart and hearts and probably yeah. Yeah. easier to actually really make a difference now mm -hmm. rather than a worldwide difference that that is great and we have to do it but it's not something that we can sign up to right here right now and know that it has a chance of getting somewhere yeah. yeah, yeah, and every little help, every little effort that somebody puts in helps for the yeah. bigger cause. And yeah, ultimately, yeah. And as divers, we don't want those beautiful places to erode because you erode, you know, you take it off one bit or off the top and it will have erosion. And that happens yeah. actually anyway with wrecks coming in and out of the sand because the sandbanks do move. But, you know, to do this sort of thing, and it's only because it's cheaper than getting it elsewhere, you know, the, the, the costs that have been done for doing it, you know, it showed yeah. it, it's basically cheapness. It's cheaper to get the aggregate locally than it is to bring it in. And so they're saying, okay, well, the carbon footprint is bigger if you have to move it. But <laughs> the, the footprint ecologically, is yeah. just huge and not, yeah. the computer modeling that's being done has been proved to not be uh, particularly accurate in something else so i have no uh, faith in it yeah. 
Well, we'll make sure there's a link to that in our yes, show notes. Uh, I wasn't aware of that, to be honest. So, uh, well, well, good. Yeah, yeah. No, save our sands. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll look that up and then get yeah, pop it in the show notes as well, so people can yeah find out a bit more about. And come to see the Mary Rose, obviously. Yeah. yeah. So, if people want to find out more about the museum, um, have you got social media links where people can go just to find oh, yeah. out a bit more? Yeah, www.maryrose.org, and there are all sorts of Twitter and other things, and I, I'm told that our Twitter person is on that. <laughs> we, we've got a digital uh, uh, marketing person who's uh, doing yeah. all that. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, well, we'll put all the links to the actual museum and uh, the social media links so people can yeah, find out a bit more and hopefully be inspired to come and visit as well. Yeah, well, yeah. thanks, and good luck with everything you do, and I have enjoyed listening to the, to the podcast that I have listened to, so cave diving ones no it's been brilliant no thank you very much for coming yeah. on and uh i think we um Gemma's never been yet no. but i think that's a, a good excuse to come down and and show you uh show Gemma the uh the wreck and uh all the artifacts and because I, I i like it because uh the way how you've got them on display uh and you've done very been very careful with light yeah how it enhances them and it's easy to see them um so like that's brilliant so uh, it's really nice and definitely i'd say to anyone who's listening is uh to go and uh, visit it's brilliant yeah. well the, the best thing that i got is when we brought the divers in when the it, last reunion was 2017 so we just opened the new museum the, the bottom two levels are just glass so you can look at the ship right through it whereas before we only had small windows because the ship was being dried and there were all these yeah. tubes over it um and they they walked down, they said, oh, my goodness, it's just like swimming down the main deck. But you can see, you know, you can see further than yeah. half a meter or a meter. And that for us, the, the few of us who'd worked on the exhibition from, you know, from the time it was underwater, it just, you know, that was the best result we yeah. could ever have. Yeah. So I'm glad clever. you thought it was a bit immersive, you know. As a, as yeah. a Definitely. You know, my kids loved it. Uh, they really enjoyed it. And, um, you know, it's totally fascinating because you kind of, uh, look through the window and peer at it and just kind of absorb it and take it all in and it's very cleverly presented um like i say the sound effects yeah and it's very 3d or 4d even um and you feel like you're part of it it's very very clever yeah big yeah. thumbs up yeah, I definitely look forward to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have to let me know, and I'll take you around. Yeah. Oh, that'd be brilliant. Yeah, no, it'd be yeah. great to yeah meet you face to face as well. And yeah, thank you for yeah just such amazing enthusiasm and uh, yeah, it's very infectious. Yeah. <laughs> well, you guys are enthusiastic too. You can hear it through all the podcasts. So. Yeah. Great. Thank you very brilliant. much. Thank you very okay. much. All yeah. right. Thanks a lot. Bye. Enjoy your weekend. Thank you. Okay. Bye. 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 All righty, we're back. Um, so uh, thanks for. Alexandra coming on and uh, giving us her time. Yeah, it was really interesting. That is, and uh, absolutely fascinating. And uh, uh, the fact that you have to pay rent for some of the seabed. Yeah, where it is, yeah. Wow, blows, blows me away. Just think and there's more to be discovered. That's really... And I never knew that. I no. thought everything was all up. Yeah, yeah. No, it's really, really... Yeah. In, yeah. Alexandra. Yeah, it'd be great to go to the museum at some point. Well, yes, um... I wouldn't mind going again. I know the kids really enjoyed it as well. So um, definitely uh, one to do. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, really big thank you to Alex and her colleagues yeah, for and, taking uh, part. We'll be keeping an eye on the uh, preparations for the uh, celebration mm -hmm. um, later on this year. And um, 
you know, hope that they all go well. Yeah, yeah, it's 40 years. Yeah, which is amazing, isn't it? Um, okay, um, so coming up on next week's episode, we very recently caught up with and had a bit of a chat with a bit of a regular on the old podcast. Yes, yeah, Christina Zanato. Christina Zanato and a partner. Kevin Lorenzen. Yes, and yeah. uh, we had a really good uh, catch up with them. And it's really good uh, that they came on and uh, we got had a bit of a laugh and a bit of a joke. And yeah, it was lovely. They got some news, um, which they'll be sharing on next week's episode. Yes, yeah. So we spoke to them actually yesterday and they were actually in New York, not the Bahamas. New York, New mm. York. Yep. So. Uh, they are there for the... Because uh, Christine was a keynote speaker. Yes, actually last night. Our World Underwater Scholarship Society. Mm-hmm. At the Explorers Club. Yeah, yeah, which is obviously a great privilege. And uh, yeah, they're obviously going to meet some of the scholars. Yeah, they've lost their gear. They lost all their luggage. Their luggage, they? yeah. Both yeah. of them. So uh, we hope by now, by the time this comes out, you would have got all your luggage back and had a great time in New York, both of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, so it was really good to see them. And uh, yeah, lovely to see them so happy as well. It is, yeah, yeah. There's a little bit of, uh, I think they had the land sharks with them, didn't they? Uh, well, there were some New York dogs featuring in the background. Can't get away from the dogs. Yeah, yeah. So, no, but uh, that will make a really fun podcast. Well, will. So, download that episode. Um, before we go, as usual, um, every year, every week, we kind of plead for somebody to leave us a review. It'd be really good. Uh, it doesn't cost nothing. It's absolutely free. It takes a few seconds to do wherever you're listening to your uh, these episodes. Um, please leave us a review. It just helps other people find us and it helps us go up in the old charts and mm. spreads the, the diving message. You yeah. know? But just be nice to hear from you. Yeah. And we love hearing from you. So uh, for people who've left comments on our YouTube channel, we thank you. Yes, and if you send us any DMs on Facebook or Instagram, we'll always respond. Certainly will, certainly will. Okay, well... Um, I think that's it for it. I think everything's covered. Yeah, I think we've got the rest of Sunday to... If you're diving this week, let us know. Um, if you're either in the UK or abroad, um, if you are in the water or on the water even, you know, let us know where you're going diving. It's always good. Yeah, and then hopefully we'll have some adventures on the water uh, this coming week. Certainly will. Alrighty, I think that's it. Yep, so thanks for downloading and have a good rest of the day. Absolutely. That was the Big Scuba Podcast. Now that does wrap up today's episode of the Big Scuba podcast. But if you want to hear more from the podcast, make sure you hit that subscribe or follow button depending on what platform you are listening on. That way you will never miss an episode from us. But if you are listening on Apple Podcasts and did enjoy what you heard today, we would really appreciate it if you head to the show page to leave a five-star rating and review. It really does help us. If you do, please take a screenshot of that review and send it to us on Instagram and we'll give you a shout out to say a big thank you. If you have any questions for us or anything that has been mentioned in today's episode, be sure to reach out to us on any of our social media platforms or send us an email. The links are in the show notes. We will get back to you no matter what. If you have made it to this point in the episode, we both want to say a big, big thank you for tuning in and we'll see you on the next episode.